Welcome to VLGA Connect. My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government. Hi everyone and welcome to VLGA Connect. It's time for our annual state budget dissection episode, if I can call it that. And joining me is the CEO of the VLGA, of course, Catherine Arndt. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Chris. It's good to be here with you and Steve today. Um, you know, this time of year where all, we come together to talk about and analyse or perhaps speculate on um, the budget that's just been announced at a state level and Today, I'm really excited to hear from Steve because he was actually at Lockup. Yes, so Steve Cooper, Chief of Staff, VLGA, second time today. Hello to you. Hello, Chris. And yes, and it's our second um, budget wrap up. And hi, Catherine. And I think we can now lay claim to this being an annual event. <laughs> yes. Well, I think it's the third one. I think we might have done a, a, some form of this back in 2020 when VLGA Connect was very new. I think you'll find that. Steve uh, made a guest appearance on the Local Government News Roundup podcast uh, this morning to talk very briefly about his experience. But I figure, Catherine, that we could probably take a bit of time to unpack this lock-up experience a little bit more with Steve now. How was it? I'm really keen to hear. It's been a few years since I've been to lock-up. What was happening in the room? Oh, it was... Actually, it was all quite social, um, Catherine. Um, and again, I'd never been, but um, we turn up and you register and get your little name tag uh, that you forget to hand back on the way out. And they take your phone and put it in a little plastic bag. And then we walk in and there's a whole pile of printed materials at the back of the room. And um, people are sort of in sections. So um, the local government peak body, so us and the MAV were out sort of tucked away at the back with a lot of regional development kind of people who were terrific. And um, we listened to the Premier, the Assistant Treasurer, the Minister for Regional Development, and then it's on. There is a, a huge rush to the table. Just wait for this. We've got a prop. And we all get these. <laughs> That's a good doorstopper there, Steve. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope you took a suitcase to carry that home on the train. Um, my satchel was quite loaded, Catherine. I was glad it was nearly nearly bare of anything else. And it was really quite interesting because you could tell the people who had a broad remit because for them from about 11.30 to 1.30, it was just head down, folding pages, scribbling, taking notes. And there are other people who have really gone there only with an interest in one or two lines. And... Um, and they were up for a chat. <laughs> right, of course you wouldn't be in that category, Steve. Um, absolutely. I, I expect that there's lots of little sticky notes in those papers um, for me to have a look at when I go back into the office. But, look, uh, you mentioned it was a, a bit of a social event, so things haven't changed, I must say. But in all seriousness, uh, I do uh, all hats off to a lot of the staffers of the ministers uh, whose portfolios do impact the local government sector. I know they make an absolute um, a deliberate effort to, to seek out uh, representative bodies such as a VLGA when there is someone in the room. So did you have a chat to anyone um, from the various portfolios? 
Look, and actually, thank you for that reminder, Catherine, because it would actually, um, yes, I was being a bit flippant, but there is actually a lot of work that was done and the way that you've described it is quite uh, um, is quite correct. That So, yes, certainly I had uh, conversations with advisors from regional development and also the Minister of Planning, which, again, you wouldn't necessarily get that opportunity otherwise. And um, uh, the connections in the room, although, again, yes, it's social, there is a lot of work-related conversation going on and really an opportunity for good access to government. Well, tell us, what is in it? What's in the budget for local government, Steve? Well, actually, thank you, Catherine. I'll dispense with my uh, my props for the time being. I think it's worthwhile saying, and there's some already been some um, rather excellent commentary along some recurring themes. And I think, in terms of the context of this budget, it's no secret that there is um, a state election coming up. Uh, Sean Carney writes about that in some detail in the editorial pages in the Age today about the nature of the budget and where he saw that it sits in the context of the election. So. It is around a trust rebuilding and really a reinstatement of the economy, uh, particularly around health and some infrastructure, um, given the pandemic. Now, the headlines were it's about jobs, that there is purportedly an operating cash surplus to be achieved in 22-23, and that the budget would come back into complete surface, you know, surplus, sorry, having regard to um, depreciation and those non-cash charges um, in 25 26 in that particular year. Now that, of course, and we're not the ones to commentate on this, is predicated on the assumptions upon which the budget's founded. Of course. And look, just to give you a break, Steve, Chris, I know you did talk about it on the Local Government News Roundup um, podcast this morning. What's your assessment of, of the, the budget announcement? I think it's sort of of two halves, really, Catherine. There's some some big announcements that uh, some councils, particularly growth councils, have noted and welcomed around hospitals. They're falling into the theme that Steve mentioned of health in particular. Um, uh, but I think there's also a feeling, and I haven't read the Sean Carney piece, that there's um, there's some stuff being held back for the state election uh, campaign and that, you know, some of the things the councils have been asking for, um, they might just have to wait a little bit longer. They don't quite fit into this budget. And I think it's interesting to see some of the peak bodies responses that are starting to, uh, I was going to say dribble, but um, um, fall out today uh, as they get their heads around what's in the budget. And we could talk a bit about some of those now, if you like. Absolutely. But just going back to your point about perhaps some of those um, announcements being held back uh, at the moment, um, we'll be running a VLGA Connect election series, a state election series, and certainly look forward to inviting the Treasurer and the Shadow Treasurer and other um, portfolio ministers onto that um, program to talk a little bit more in detail as we get closer uh, to the election date. So just before we talk about some of those peak uh, responses, Steve, um, highlights. So I did pull out a few for the for the roundup this morning. Wyndham's commented on uh, health and schools. Uh, Melton's commented on the new Melton Hospital and some highway duplication, which it's been advocating, advocating for. Some of the rurals have had success with things they've been asking for, like additional train services out in central goldfields, Shire. Um, what other particular things that were local government focused did catch your eye as you worked through the materials? So I think in that sense, um, 
you have to go looking and often as you've sort of touched on the local government um, sensitive ones are in relation to issues where there's been particular advocacy the list that i had the the um Rural Council's transformation program obviously will continue. So obviously government still has a, um, a strategic intent for collaboration between councils. Um, there is 4.9 million towards municipal emergency resourcing, although I've heard some commentary um, seeking more for that. And that $50 million growing suburbs fund for um, interface and regional peri-urban councils to build facilities for healthy and livable communities in fast growing suburbs. So. Um, those, uh, I guess, urban fringe councils, I suppose, that have got capital works projects on foot for grant applications, uh, look out for them to, to make those applications. So you mentioned the Growing Suburbs Fund. That's one that's continuing with another $50 million singled out in the budget. The interface councils have welcomed that. Um, but there's a but as well. They, they've commented on the the stress on maternal and child health services in particular. I think the MAV's picked up on this as well today. Um, and there's some disappointment, I gather, that there wasn't a real focus on building that service up in the budget. No, I think that's right, Chris, and I can't really add to that because um, it's pretty hard to comment when there's not a lot of commentary in the budget papers. I think um, you're right. There's a lot to unpack. Uh, those documents that you have there, those, those props, as you referred to them, are quite comprehensive and often it's a matter of um, really going into the detail to understand this, the implications of some of those announcements. Uh, there's been a little bit of um, money allocated, I understand, to establish a social inclusion action group uh, across 10 local government areas. Do we know any more about that? No, Catherine, only to the extent that the uh, budget papers made it quite clear that inclusion was a theme for government um, throughout all of its areas of op operation. Um, it sees inclusion as, I guess, a measure of, you know, a civil society having clear links to, you know, better health outcomes across whole communities and, you know, culturally a better place, I suppose. So, um, yes, there's that particular project, but as I said, um, inclusion was a theme um, sort of running through the budget papers. I'll just make the point on that one that I think it's linked to local community mental health groups that have been uh, racking up wins in, in, in that space. I know Greater Shepparton welcomed the mental health focus, some funding for an expansion of that facility in Shepparton. So I think that's one of those 10 that are being talked about. Another thing that caught my eye was money to, uh, to tie in with big projects such as Suburban Rail Link, such as the Commonwealth Games coming to regional Victoria, etc. So funding to allow uh, councils and others to leverage those projects for community outcomes. Fair comment, Steve? I think in two ways, Chris. Yes, my understanding was there's about 10 further uh, level crossings to be removed and additional five railway stations, although some of those might be related to um, a requirement for a new station associated with the crossing removal. Um, there was also uh, additional bus routes and bus stops. And as we've talked about previously, all of those have implications either in terms of that sort of interaction that we know of between the council and government in terms of the, you know, the direct costs associated with um, the changes, the new services, or sometimes there's just indirect costs for councils associated with getting people safely to and from those um, 
access and egress points to public transport. Budget, of course, is the first budget, um, you know, in a COVID environment. And clearly the theme is about um, supporting local communities because, as we know, during COVID, we've all experienced our local communities uh, in ways probably more than we perhaps ever have in the past. We've lived and worked and played and, um, uh, I guess, endured isolation in, in our local community. Do you think the budget goes far enough to support, um, I guess, that theme of really, uh, you know, investing in the local community to make it, uh, you know, that or to sustain it as a place where people are able to continue to live and work and play like that? I'm not sure, Catherine, that any, any budget, particularly at the moment, will. Um, and I'm possibly editorialising a bit, but I think post-COVID, um, communities are really broken compared with um, where they were. Um, so the responses that are required are not just sort of single line items. There is a, you know, there's a rebuilding of communities required because we've really lost those connections in the last couple of years. It's a really difficult um challenge isn't it to navigate when you know you, you do need to support the local community and rebuild them and certainly um, recognize the significant cost burden that COVID had for councils mm -hmm. as well as deliver a state budget that invests in infrastructure and transport and uh, you know public health and education systems so very difficult uh, to navigate I would suggest. Catherine and, and Steve, I think it, it bears reminding that you're never going to have 100% of, of, of people happy with with a budget like this because it's not physically possible to please absolutely everyone. And in that vein, I pick up on some comments that have come today from Rural Councils Victoria, who've, uh, who've noted the $5.7 billion being invested in regional Victoria, which uh, regional Victoria will be very excited about, I'm sure, and I, I suspect the Commonwealth Games is part of that. But they've pointed out that regional Victoria is much more than Geelong, Ballarat and Bendigo and suggested that seems to be where the focus is going. So they really um, uh, underscored the fact that they're disappointed in, in this budget. And I imagine there will be some more of that sort of uh, analysis coming out in the coming days. Chris, that tension that you and Catherine have both talked about was evident in the room. Um, you know, and it's quite reasonable when you when you listen to um, the rural community in Victoria that um, many people would sort sort of see that you know public art projects in Melbourne aren't getting them that uh, that pothole road repaired, um, and so the sort of tensions you've talked about, I think, are alive, and I don't like to say alive and well, but certainly alive. Allocation I was interested to note was the $350,000 announced to support the recently released Victorian Aboriginal and Local Government Strategy. Now, local government is actually mentioned as a partner in this strategy, and the purpose of the strategy is to strengthen the engagement between Aboriginal organisations and local councils and support pathways to self-determination. So it's pleasing to see an allocation of funds there because certainly from the VLGA's perspective, we're very um, keen to, to better understand what role local government can play as part of that strategy. So $400,000, I think, for the Valgap 
Catherine, but significant dollars for the treaty process as well, which, mm -hmm. as we know, has already started. But uh, that funding's going right through to 25 26 because there's clearly a lot more work needs to be done there. Yeah, a couple of other things, um, Chris. Yeah, so a total of 151 million on treaty over the, the forecast period of the budget. Um, of that 400,000, um, in some ways, what you've both said is correct because I understand 50,000 is for the internal oversight costs and 350,000 is going um, outside, but we don't know quite what that implementation of the Aboriginal local government strategy will look like. Um, there's also 947,000 for Aboriginal cultural events to foster greater awareness of culture and history. And that is really consistent with, um, you know, strategies emerging from closing the gap uh, in terms of, you know, making progress um, more on a national basis. The other one, Chris and Catherine, is there's a budget allocation to deliver assessments um, for culturally significant Aboriginal sites. So again, I don't quite know what that looks like, but obviously there'll be some work done locally around identifying those sites, which will really input to um, the treaty process. One thing that's really close to our hearts, of course, is uh, culture and good governance and something that you both talk about every week at the Friday Governance Update. Uh, interestingly enough, the budget, um, well, certainly at that high level, is silent on any allocation that might be there um, that would support the, the current review into the culture of local government. Now, we could read something into that or perhaps we don't, but certainly interested to see um, what the next... Uh, stages are in that review, given that submissions have now gone into the government and um, we're eagerly awaiting to hear what um, recommendations might come out of that. And of course, what, what of those recommendations um, may need to be funded? Yeah, and we can only assume, Catherine, that those are, um, I guess, um, internally borne costs that have already been budgeted for elsewhere, but yes. Um, Catherine and Steve, I note the MAV's comments today. Uh, they've uh, given a tick to the healthcare and mental health investment, the funding for coastal resilience and the ongoing commitments for active transport infrastructure, and they're calling for a more of a partnership approach across the levels of government. But, but they have also highlighted, as others have, a lack of commitment to maternal and child health funding pressures. They say um, no money for emergency management, although I do note there was about $5 million for increasing capacity and capability of councils to prepare for emergencies, but clearly they were uh, perhaps expecting much more. And the other one that I think is a bit of a sleeper is uh, they've commented on no additional support for curbside waste reforms. And as we know, the government is requiring councils to move towards uh, this standard approach of uh, four-bin service, etc. And that's a very costly process. And I don't think I'm speaking out of school to say uh, most councils are looking for more support from the government for that. There's a lot said in that little commentary you've made, Chris. I don't. I wonder if we start at the most recent and work our way back because I suspect Catherine will want to talk about um, agreements and the, the relationship between state and local government, but I'd agree with you completely. And there is, I guess there is a concern in terms of that waste levy. Um, how is that going to be applied? We know there's pressure in terms of finding um, space for landfill, and we know there's a lot of work to be done on research and development, and that's all expensive. Indeed, Stephen, you're right. I mean, we do have to go back to the uh, the principles behind the Victorian state local government agreement and 
uh, the VLGAs, VLGAs constantly speaking with government about engaging with the sector uh, on all significant policy and, and legislative changes and or, or even and the financial impacts that might have on the sector. The other theme that's come out very strong uh, that we haven't spent a lot of time on is this continue, uh, continuation of the big builds, the the really big infrastructure projects that are happening. And Steve and I touched on this briefly on the roundup this morning. The challenges councils have in delivering capital works at the moment should not be understated, can't be understated. I mean, councils are putting out tenders for which they're getting zero or perhaps one uh, tender for. There's uh, so much competition. The prices have been going through the roof. This continued big build is putting more pressure there. I wonder, Steve, whether you've had time to reflect on whether you see that as being a continuation of that or part of a solution to the problem the sector's finding itself in at the moment? This will really surprise you, Chris. I think it's a bit of both. I, I think government has no choice but to invest heavily in infrastructure projects. Um, but I still would reinforce what I said this morning. I think there are huge pressures in terms of individual um, entities that are bidding for work. You know, we look at what's happening in the health system. We look at right across industry. And it's not unusual for COVID to take out either directly or by way of ISO, a significant um, cohort of staff. Now, under those circumstances, and I don't know the answer to this, maybe there's a, another VLGA Connect coming up on it, but... Um, traditional penalty clauses in construction contracts are going to prove really onerous for suppliers um, with that factor and also the fact that supply chains might be disrupted. Thoughts, Catherine? Look, I, I think as we, we talked about a little earlier in the program, it, it's quite a complex uh, landscape to navigate at the moment, I think, for the state government and also the local government sector. And I just hope that the two sectors can, can find ways that they can work together to solve those bigger issues because, um, you know, there's no point in, in either um, level of government sitting back and suggesting that, it, that, that they need to be funded by the other. I think we have to work collaboratively together to identify innovative ways that we can address these issues. And, and they are issues that affect the community uh, and they affect all of us. All right, I think we've just about exhausted the themes. Anything else left to say, Steve, from your analysis? Um, I'm just quickly flicking through, Chris. Um, no, I think we're just about done. Okay. Catherine, final thoughts from the VLGA's perspective, I guess, on this budget and its implications for the sector. I, I would just like to say um, congratulations to the government for delivering a budget in what is a particularly difficult uh, circumstance. Uh, the VLGA, as I said, looks forward to working with the state government to advance and progress, um, you know, the role of local government and to ensure that it's supported in the best way it can be to deliver to the communities that uh, local governments serve, and they serve those communities on behalf of state and federal governments. So really, that's what we, we need to focus on. And we need, I, I welcome um, the opportunity to host uh, the state government and also uh, the opposition on our VLGA Connect state election series. That would be uh, terrific. Thank you, Catherine. And, and, and Steve, if we pick up any more reaction on anything that we might have missed, we can certainly cover off on that on the governance update on Friday. That should be good, Chris. 
Thank you, Steve Cooper, and of course, Catherine Arndt, CEO of the VLGA, on our special budget analysis edition of VLGA Connect. Thanks for your company, and we'll be back with more very soon. Thank you.